Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick. My partner, Jennifer Kalari, will be along shortly. This is the show where we talk about mental health, and we actually practice mental health skills, because mental health, incredibly, is a practice, and it is only as good as what you, how you, what your, the choices that you make and how you practice. And I wish I didn't sound like Porky Pig talking about mental health, but I do, and that's okay with me. Today, it's very important how you identify yourself. And I identify as a Hebrew action figure. And if I were a professional wrestler, my name would be the second guesser. This is BYOE, Bring Your Own Emotions. Today, we're going to talk about a bunch of different things with our guest, our, our special guest, who is really an incredible Emmy and Grammy-nominated TV film record producer, talent manager, and has a great podcast called Industry Standard, which we'll talk about, and that's Barry Katz. Barry's coming up shortly. And I want to do a couple things. You may have heard a door shut, and that's kind of the way I feel about my own emotions. Do we shut the door or do we open the door? And today we're going to try to open the door. If you hear people setting up, people sitting. This is kind of the feeling of a green room. Even though we're recording the show right now, it's still a green room. So let's get into it. And one of the things is, I guess, conflict and how to resolve conflicts. The world is full of conflict. It's it's full of possibilities too. But if you're a guy like me and you have been sort of afraid of conflict your whole life and working on that issue, it would be a good time to talk about that, whether it's personal relationships, whether it's business. uh, Conflict's always been a a difficult one for me. The other thing is realizing your own value, how to realize your own value in the world. And another thing is being in your own time, taking up space in the world, taking your time. I've always been one of those people who functions, you know, very quickly, and I'm always afraid of you know, kind of being behind and and taking up too much time or too much space. I'm always very deferential. When I order food in a restaurant, I preface it by saying, if it wouldn't be too much trouble. And I, and I really do that. I am one of those kind of people. So I want to talk a little bit about that. But sit back and relax because today's show is brought to you by the Emotional Rewards app, Good For You. Good For You is an emotional rewards app that gives you all kinds of good for you rewards based on the choices you make and the actions you take that are good for you and others. It's a fully programmable app based on your life and preferences. The app gives you special emotional rewards for good things that you do for yourself and others. And the more points you get, the higher the reward level. From choosing to eat something good for you to helping a friend or a neighbor to being kind to ourselves and others, the Good For You app responds and when you least expect it. Just log in all your preferences and heroes, all your information, write in what action or choice you made, and let the good for you times roll. As reward points accumulate, surprises happen. Your phone vibrates and plays Hey Jude, for example. You might get a text from Dr. King. Keep dreaming, good for you, glad you ate a salad today. And once you get really rolling, you might be having a rough day. Here comes a video of Muhammad Ali telling you you're the greatest. Amazon is easy, but do you really need another Kindle cover? Good for you. The Emotional Rewards app puts the funk in the trunk. 
Now we're going to do some emotional shout outs. No matter what state you're in, we always like to welcome our audience members. So here are emotional shout outs. If while meditating, you couldn't get the theme from Bewitched out of your head, welcome. If you went to a drive through vaccine center and were given a choice of hummus or rice pilaf with your shot, welcome. If you've been at home so long that you're holding a candlelit vigil for your pajamas, welcome. If you can have a, an I can hear you but can't see you hoodie from the Zoom merch store, welcome. If you think there should be an Anthony Fauci bobblehead night at Dodger Stadium, welcome. If you try to return your marriage license to Amazon, welcome. And if during a family game of Monopoly, you ask if you can buy the marijuana dispensary, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Now I'd like to present, and we'll probably need music for this, our friend from the North and the South, her organization ConnectedParenting.com helps with all kinds of media, books, information, education, skills, brain hacks, family skills, parenting skills, self-parenting skills. And it's a wonderful organization. It's called ConnectedParenting.com. It's our friend from the North and the South, the first lady of psychoneurobiology and the high priestess of brain hacks, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, how'd you like that build up? That was amazing. I loved that. That was great. Thank you. Well, last night we had an earthquake here in L.A. Okay. It was like very near where I live. Ooh. So I want to talk a little bit about an emo- emotional earthquakes, mental health earthquake kit. We have earthquake kits. What would you need in your, in your emotional earthquake kit? What kinds of skills should people kind of have for, for the kind of mental health first aid that we need today? Oh, this is a very good question. I like this concept. Okay, there's a few kind of basic tools that I think we all need. The first one is really breathing, which we all need anyway. But how to breathe when you're in a panic or worried about something is actually really important. There's two types of breathing. When we get scared of something, so when the earthquake happens or whatever happened, we take a big breath in, like, (gasps) that's what we all do. And we do that so we draw in a tremendous amount of oxygen to give energy to our body so that we can fight, flight, or freeze. We can either run away or we can fight something. When we've determined that it's not an actual immediate danger, we actually need to do the opposite. So instead of taking a big breath in, you actually need to take a big sigh, like a big breath out. That actually sends a very different signal to the brain. It sends a signal to the brain that I can release energy and I'm actually no longer in danger. So there's a lot of people that talk about, oh, take a deep breath when you're worrying and and a deep breath can be great, but it's actually a, a big breath out that is much more helpful in terms of getting your brain where your frontal lobe is going to be on and you can respond to your environment instead of react. So it's almost like the word W-H-E-W. It's like a whew. Yeah. It's just like, because that's what we do. When we, when we thought something terrible was going to happen and we found out, oh, it's just a joke. Like, so for April Fool's Day, my daughter, who's 17 and a half, sat me down and told me she was pregnant. <laughs> so... I panic. Okay, thank <laughs> you for funny. that. And, yeah. then, and then she's at April Fool's. But the first thing, as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh, that breath out is actually a signal to the brain that the danger has passed. It's no longer. Right. So when we use that big breath out, it actually helps reset the brain. So no wonder growing up with my relatives who would constantly sigh, it was like if they had a sighing Olympics. <laughs> 
this, these, these people would have been gold medalists. Yeah. They were actually doing a healthy thing. Yeah. It's actually good. The whoo, the, that, that big sigh is actually really, really helpful. Okay. Okay. The other, letting your tongue just drop in the bottom of your mouth. If you let your tongue just go soft on your bottom teeth, your stomach will let go. And it sends a signal to your brain that you're not protecting those organs anymore. You're not about to be attacked. And if you relax your stomach and you relax your tongue, it's a signal to the brain that you're no longer in imminent danger. And you will also relax. So there's two things that you do together. The, the breath out, the sigh out, and the, the tongue relaxing on your teeth will reset the brain. Now, when you say put your tongue, are you opening your mouth? Yeah, you can open your mouth a little bit. It's just it's basically just resting your tongue on your bottom teeth. And if you do that, you'll feel your stomach let go. The stomach just relaxes because they're connected. I love that. So if you're about to be attacked, you're going to tighten up your stomach muscles, your chest muscles. You're going to do everything you can to protect those vital organs. I think there's a lot of people like me who, since the pandemic, have been walking around in that state. Yeah. Like the whole time. No, it's true. And your shoulders clenched and your stomach clenched. And we're, we're like that all the time without realizing it. So even just checking in with yourself, sighing, taking that big breath out, relaxing your shoulders and dropping your tongue will actually send a completely different signal to the brain. But you're right. People get used to just walking around like that, which is why people get headaches. The other thing that happens when you're stressed is you don't breathe properly. So you end up breathing very in, in a very shallow way. So if something's chasing you, okay, we're back to the living in the wild and something's chasing us, we're running and we hide. You don't hide like, whoo, that was close. Oh, you hide crunched up in a tight little ball, barely breathing. So that thing doesn't hear you and come looking for you. So often we spend so much of our time in that state, but the signal to the brain is something's pacing outside the, your hiding place, right? So you're right. constantly, constantly in a state of stress when you don't need to be just by habit sometimes, but just because of brain firings. Yeah. Well, I have the posture of a question mark. I'm a Hebrew question mark. And uh, that's where that comes from. And the question I'm asking is, when will I be loved? No, um, <laughs> there are lots of questions. But those are very concrete skills. And that's what I love about working with you is there are specific things that anybody can do. And that's the thing about mental health and practicing mental health. But the key of it is being conscious and aware. Yeah. And you you have to be conscious and aware to break out of survival for a second, even if you're still in survival and just say, hey, I'm in survival today and be aware and then make a choice, make any choice. Any conscious choice is a good choice. And I want to bring on our guest because we're going to talk about a lot of this with him as well. Our guest is somebody that I've known since he started. And he's probably, I don't know if he's even going to remember this, but I used to drive over to his office in Alston to pick up a check for doing one-nighters from his company. He is an Emmy and Grammy-nominated TV, film, record producer, talent manager, podcast host, has a great show called Industry Standard, which we're going to talk about. He's represented artists like Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, Mark Maron, Dane Cook, Jim Gaffigan, Tracy Morgan. The list is endless. It's amazing. He's produced films such as Good Luck Chuck, Employee of the Month, My Best Friend's Girl. Also helped to launch series like the Comedy Central Roasts and Last Comic Standing. Currently the co-founder of Comedy Dynamics, which is one of the largest independent comedy production companies in the world. And now, as I was saying, he hosts his own weekly podcast called Industry Standard. And the show welcomes the industry's biggest behind-the-scenes and on-camera players who candidly reveal 
some of the risky decisions that they made that led to the most groundbreaking TV, radio, music, internet, and film content in the world. And he has a new project called Blueprint for Success in the Comedy Business. Mr. Barry Katz. Barry, we're out of time. <laughs> All right. I can't believe I made the cut at 14 minutes. <laughs> yes, that's right. We're, I'm sorry it took us so long to get into it, but very important to breathe before we do this. I just want you to know I'm going through a mental health crisis just waiting to go on here. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That's what we try to do. We build you up, we break you down, and then we give you help. Yeah. Because we have to demonstrate it. Barry, the, f- the first thing, I mean, you're very successful a comedy talent manager from your mouth to Jennifer's ears. <laughs> well, no, it's it, of course it's it's fact. It's true. It's happened over the years. I know you you've built a career for a long time. But my question is, how does a comedy manager who has to manage the emotions, the personalities, the ups and downs of comedians whose mental health usually isn't great to begin with? How does a guy like that manage his own mental health? It's a great question. I I used to, um, in my early years, when I was 15 to about 20 or 21, I I worked with disabled kids and adults. And one of the things that I found that was so fascinating, uh, a kid would come to the camp with his or the facility with their parents and he's in a wheelchair and, you know, he can barely move his arms and... uh, and his legs obviously can't move. And you can see in his eyes that he feels like he's somebody who's worse off than everybody else in his neighborhood where he lives. And then he gets the, to the facility and he sees people who are like him, who are, who are suffering more than he is, who are, might only have a week or two to live or whatever it might be. And then you see him realizing that there's always somebody going to be better off than you. There's always going to be somebody worse off than you. And I think for me, something you may not know about me is when I was four years old, my, my dad passed away. He was 37. And I remember hearing things at night and I would go out and sort of poke my head towards the kitchen and I would see my mother from behind washing dishes, looking out the window. And you know, that, that thing that happens when you're behind somebody and they're crying and their shoulders are shaking. I remember I used to go in there and grab her by the leg and say, everything's going to be okay, mom. Everything's going to be okay. And I think becoming a manager in those circumstances where people are not of the greatest mental health and the reason why they're so funny and so are so extraordinary is because they've had that hole blown through them. And the only thing that fills the hole is the art form and they're happiest when they're doing the art form. I've always been the everything is going to be okay guy. And I know that, look, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the most extraordinary people in the world. And I'm so lucky, you know, to, to work with people like, you know, Dave Chappelle for eight years or, you know, or Whitney Cummings for eight years or, or, or people like Tracy Morgan or, or Dane Cook for 17. It's like these people, they obviously, you can't be that funny unless there's something going on inside. 
It's just, I, I don't know anybody. Maybe Jerry's the only person I've ever met that when I saw him, I, I never felt that. And, and I, again, he could sit here across from me and tell me I, I'm wrong, but I never, I always felt like he was one of the few people coming up in the comedy business that I always looked at his relationship with his managers, George Shapiro and the late Howard West. And I, I always just loved that relationship because it, it felt like something that was, that probably was less stress-free and more of a family without arguments as opposed to what most manager client relationships are. And, um, I've always had a lot of respect for Jerry, uh, because he's one of the few people that I feel, you know, got to the highest levels of the business and stayed there being somebody who wasn't, you know, crushed like a bug in his youth. That's a, that's very interesting perspective. Now, my question to you is if a comedian is suffering and not maybe necessarily treating themselves well or maybe aware of how they treat themselves and take care of themselves, but part of the way they take care of themselves is by getting on stage. How do you foster somebody being happier in their life while being happy as a performer? How do you do that? Well, I mean, look, we could we could talk to a uh, hundred different managers because, you know, obviously every time a steel mill closes, there's 5,000 new managers. You can always talk to them and everyone will have a different opinion of what, how they do things. And this is what's fascinating, Ed and uh, Jennifer, is that you, there's no management college. There's no university to represent anybody. It's all trial and error throughout your career. And you just go with what your gut tells you. I've never had a mentor so I always, you know, went with my gut and my gut always told me to stay calm, always stay calm. So no matter what happens, if somebody throws a plate up against the wall, stay calm. If somebody, you know, throws a tantrum, stay calm because the, that's the trouble with what I find even in personal relationships. You know, when somebody yells at you or raises their voice or does whatever, I think it's like blood to the vampire if you come back and raise your voice. Mm -hmm. But if you're calm, it's, you know, even if it makes them angrier, eventually they'll realize that they got to come down. They're going to have to come down. And there's the high of getting dramatic and doing those things. And, and I don't want to call anybody out here, but uh, and I won't mention names, but I will say this. I don't think I have to mention any names because if there are comedians out there that I've worked with that don't feel that they had that hole blown through them at some point in time and they're constantly dealing with how to feel better with what they're doing in their life and their art form, then I apologize. But I think that most people have tough times. I mean, I look at and I don't think I'm going out of school by saying this. I look at Chappelle, you know, a great, great, great man. And when I represented them, just amazing to everybody, generous, kind, sweet, wonderful. And then, you know, one day the rock of his life, his dad dies. And it's like what happens there is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're doing comedy, the greatest thing is to feel 
that you can control the variables. It's one of the most amazing things. It's like a surfer, you know, great surfer. You know, you're going out in the ocean, you know, there's sharks, you know, there's coral reefs, you know, there's blind spots, you know, there's waves, you don't know what's going to happen. And every time you go out, it's a different surf. But if you're a great surfer, you somehow figure out how to ride those waves better than anybody else. And occasionally you get dumped, but you get right back up on the board. And artists who are comedians, the great comedians, it's just to, to be one man on a stage and lead an army. You're essentially leading a, a group of people or you're, or you're influencing them or, or however it might be to the point where you're in control and they're, it's just, it's just a phenomenal feeling. So then when somebody dies in your life, you can't control that. You know, it's like, it's like the variable God has essentially said, you know, you think you're controlling your life. You think things are going well, well, they're not. And, and I can, you know, you make your plans and God laughs. And so that's what happens. And then when that happens, how can you possibly expect to be the same man or woman when you're rolling, you're rolling along like that? And look, I was 26 years old. I was married for eight months. I was in the comedy business. Things were going well. My wife passed away, 23 years old. Wow. How can you expect that you're going to just, you know, okay, this is good. We're good. I can just take control again. It just, you know, you have to realize that. And then when you accept that, obviously, with the tongue in your lower mouth, you, you're, you're going to be better off. So for me, the answer is I've always tried to stay calm. I've always tried to be empathetic. I remember this one time, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. I remember I was working with Dan Cook and the hottest comedian in the world where he could press a button and sell out an NBA arena in like seconds with no promoter, with no, not even needing a promoter. Now the only need for a promoter was for to set up the venue and maybe put the deposits on, but no promotion, no ads, no radio, nothing. And I remember we were doing this North American tour, the first one sold out every NBA arena. The first date was Toronto, the Air Canada Center in another country, 21,000 people in the round. And I remember meeting him for lunch. He said, can I meet you for uh, lunch? It was like four o'clock before the show. And I got there. And, and again, I hope he wouldn't mind me sharing this because I think it's really important. He was really low. He was really low. He was like, listen, I, I'm just not feeling it. I, I just, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't, I don't know if I, I feel like I can go forward and give these people my best shot. It's just, I guess I wasn't expecting how this was going to feel and being away from home. And, and this is his first date. No one in the crowd knows how he's feeling and no, no one. And I just tried to listen and I tried to be there for him and hear him out. I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to discredit his feelings. You know, another person might say, hey, you know, what are you talking about? You got 21,000 people. They all paid an average of a hundred dollars. You're probably going to make a million or million and a half dollars in one hour. Why would I, why would anybody feel sorry for you? Mm -hmm. But to me, I always try to separate 
anything financial with any feelings or anything in business with any feelings, because it doesn't matter if it's a Tonight Show that pays $535 or if it's a big concert, your feelings are valid. And if you're feeling them, that's important. So I always try to listen. And so I, I we, we sat there for about an hour, had a great conversation. And I just said, look, you know, do your best to push past this. I think once you get on stage and feel the energy, you'll be really excited about it. And it'll, it'll fuel you and get you past this feeling. And hopefully tomorrow we can talk some more and, and feel better about the whole tour. He said, okay. He always said, he always called me Catsy. So thanks, Catsy. And he went on. It was one of the most unbelievable things I'd ever seen. It's the largest crowd I ever saw him work for because that, that arena was bigger. And uh, most are like 18,000. And uh, he just destroyed the place. You know, yeah. it was like unbelievable. It was like a standing ovation like I've never seen That's before. Awesome. Even on during the show, after the show, the encore. That's amazing. Again, that filled the whole... But the next day, you know, it's it's a he felt a little bit better, and then as the tour went on, he was in much better shape. But uh, again, I should share, you know, during many of these tours, uh, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, he was suffering. His mother was dying of cancer. His father was dying of cancer. People who came to all of his shows and the biggest show of his life, the Vicious Circle, you know, too sick to mom was too sick to come to the show so here's the thing jennifer what barry is talking about sound like parenting skills Mm -hmm. yeah well parenting skills and just really deep good communication skills so what was created there was a moment of deep listening and when human beings can actually listen to each other respond to each other instead of react to each other Right, and really meet each other where they are, which is exactly what you did, Barry. Oxytocin, opiates, and endorphins release. These are powerful reward chemicals that flood the brain and block cortisol. And cortisol is a stress hormone. So when you have a deep conversation like this, you're literally medicating the other person and it's free and you don't run out and there's no negative side effects and you can't overdose on it. And you also get the same bounce back, which is why he was able to go back on that stage and really do an incredible job. And I think that's when you're managing people or in, in a way, sort of, that's what parents do when we manage our kids. And when you do it from that loving place, from that neutral, calm, caring place, amazing things happen. Yeah. And I feel like when I manage, I, you know, I also have two boys, 15 and 16. And I find that when I'm calm with them, they know everything's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I always try to talk about the incremental stages of achieving anything. So mm-hmm. no matter how much the obstacles are, if you just take a little bit at a time. Yeah, it's not so overwhelming. You're going to be able to figure it out. And so my son has a, you know, 50 overdue homework assignments. Naturally, when he looks at it, it's his head's going to explode. Yeah. But if we just say, hey, okay, we're going to set a goal for a certain amount of time. We're going to do a little bit each day. And then by this point, it's going to be all done. And we're going to figure it out. We're going to stay calm. Yep. And we're going to figure out how to do it. And and what you find in dealing with anybody in your life, doesn't matter if it's a client, if it's a family member, if it's a friend, a lover. It's always about 
hearing the same patterns over and over again. Mm-hmm. But it's their patterns. It's the soundtrack to their life. Yes. If you can be a chameleon and understand that that's their soundtrack, they can't see that they're saying it over and over again. But it's like an anorexic looking in the mirror and saying they're fat. Yeah. You know, they just can't see it. What's interesting about what you're saying is when you listen well and and deeply without your own agenda, without trying to fix it, without telling them what to do, they actually start to hear themselves, which is the magic. Yeah, it is. I I believe it truly is. Another thing that occurs to me is how does somebody learn these kinds of skills? It sounds like you grew. It sounds like you had them. You had them from the time you were a little kid with your mom. This idea of just listening to people patiently, being calm, but also encouraging, encouraging people. And I'm wondering where you learn those things. I don't think you do uh, learn it. You know, in, in Kabbalah, they always say that what you haven't mastered in this lifetime, the reason why you're still struggling with it is because you didn't finish it in the past lifetime. Mm-hmm. Now you have to use get get it all done worked out this lifetime if you don't then it's the next lifetime we all know this for a fact everybody listening knows this why does the four-year-old in the stroller climb out of the stroller and play um rachmaninoff why does that kid able to do that at four yet another kid can't do it at four why was Mick Jagger able to do what he did and another person wasn't able to do that? Why did you know Bill Gates do what he did in technology and somebody else didn't? I, I really believe that these things, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think they're taught things, which is a horrible thing to say because there's so many self-help books out there. But I never read a book on self-help. Bill Burr used to say these things to me. He said when he'd come in my office because I represented him, he he said, I always had this thing where I'd come come to the office and they'd have all these mind control books behind me. But like, (laughs) (laughs) and it was like, but people people always would give me books and they would sign them over, but I never really wanted to read those books. I wanted to figure it out on my own. And But I, I think I had the makeup early on because of the tragedy that happened to me. And so that shaped me. Unfortunately, and I guess I'm, I guess I'm hurting a lot of people who uh, write books on these things. I really don't believe that it's something that you can go to a, a college or a university and teach somebody and they're going to go from a dramatic AAA personality to a calm and gentle, loving soul, they're always going to have that dark side. You're always going to look at that person and it's like an extra from Children of the Corn. You know, it's like, I don't, I, you either have it or you don't have it. That doesn't mean that you can't be better. Yeah. But, but there's something about a genuine listener and somebody who you can tell is like listening to you. And as they're listening to you, you can see in their mind saying silently, Boy, I can't wait till this person shuts the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, and if it comes from there, it's never going to work. It's it's interesting. I had a, a kid the other day. Her, his mom has really been practicing, and it's interesting because I call it the calm technique, which is really what you have to be. And he said, you know, my mom's been listening to me with her heart. 
And that's what it is. You listen to people with your heart. And I think there are people who are born to do that. They're just naturally really good at it. It's not easy to teach. I mean, that's my job is to teach people and people can get better at it. People can get really good at it. But I think it's none of us are, or many of us aren't even raised with a parent who was doing that. They, we, you know, years ago, we didn't even think that was a good thing to do. And it, it's interesting. I'll have a lot of parents say to me, well, if you listen to your kid this way, aren't they just going to expect everyone else in the world to do that? But the really interesting part is they won't need anyone else in the world to do it. If their mom does it, if their dad does it, the way you're listening to your boys, which by the way is teen whispering, they they can go to school and stuff can happen in it. And then they have sort of emotional shock absorbers, their skins that little bit thicker. And they're like, well, what's with him? And, you know, knowing that they're very loved, very heard and very seen in their home is the greatest gift you can give anybody really. And I'm very, with the kids, I'm, I'm very um, trusting. I give them a lot of rope and other parents I know look at me like I'm not necessarily doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. but that's the way I want it to be. I want them to know that. That you trust them. Yeah. That I trust them. I want them to know that if they fuck up, it's okay. They can tell me, you know, make mistakes. Just don't make career threatening or life threatening mistakes. Right. And so that's what I just know. And so if my, you know, if my kids, you know, decide that they're going to, you know, drink a beer or do whatever, if you're going to drink the beer, great. Just don't get in the fucking car with somebody drinking yeah. the beer. Like the other day, I, I really loved when this happened. Again, another parent would have done something differently, but it was a beautiful moment. Like my son came to me and he said, listen, uh, my friend is having a sleepover on the PCH. Uh, can I go, dad? Uh, and it was six o'clock that night. I said, sure, just send me the number of the um, the parents who are going to be there and uh, whatever and, and the address. And uh, he looked down for a second and looked back up at me and paused. And he said, Dad, I don't know if there's going to be any parents there. I don't want to lie to you. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if they're going to be there or not. I said, oh, really? Well, then you are definitely going camping. And he, and he looked at me and he said, what? I said, yeah, man, honesty gets a lot of capital. Aww. I said, look at the, I said, look, you know, if an ax murderer kills you in the woods, at least I know you were happy and you did what you wanted to do. <laughs> and I'm not going to feel guilty. <laughs> Something that it. you very rarely hear a parent say, but yes. This is the yeah. way to go. Your kid feels like they've been heard. They feel like you trust them. There's a connection between you and you're letting them make a choice yeah. for themselves. So you're doing so much with, with just that one thing. Barry, instead of doing a success course, why don't you do a parenting course? <laughs> yeah. Parents would look at what I do and they would be stunned at how I, I don't care if my son decides he wants to lose his virginity in my house. I don't care if like, yes, if it, I'll tell you something that happened that was really comical. It was so funny because normally there's a lot of honesty. So the other day, one of my sons is walking in and, um, and something falls on the ground. He puts his foot over it and he's just standing there in the living room (laughs) looking at me with his face. I'm like, yes. And he does that thing where he pauses again. He says, Dad, 
I gotta be honest with you, it's it's a vape pen. I I promise you I don't do it uh, that often and it was just here and it was my friends and I promise you it was and I, but I did have it in my pocket and I did drop it and I have vaped before but I just want you to know honestly what happened and I said okay that's cool thanks for being honest with me he just picks up the vape puts it in my hand and says right. thanks dad and hugs me and walks off so because it's like so I'm not gonna like there's nothing to consequence there. There's nothing to punish. That was a beautiful moment. But I mean, but every, this is the thing, Jen, and you and you know, and, and Ed knows as well. This is another thing that's so weird about our lives. So I could tell you a story. I could tell you that story. Look, the pen's dropping on the floor. The sun puts his foot over it. There's like a standoff, like you said, yep. not, not standoff, but just that look, you know. Yep. And you could tell that to a hundred parents and a hundred parents would give you a hundred different answers of how they would handle it. And that's why the world I think is so challenged because there's no consistency with how people do things in their lives. And so you're, even when you're in a relationship or you're meeting somebody that you want to go on a date with for the first time, you're sitting across from them. If the exact same things happen in your life as their life, they'd be a different person totally because their parents have shaped them or guided them in a certain way that you weren't guided in. And humans are messy, but we all learn from each other and we learn from from contrast and we learn from our differences. And I think that's what we, you know, we sometimes expect people to be exactly like us or to do things the way we, we do things and people just don't work that way. So what I love about that parenting moment is what what you do have with your sons is you have openness, you have honesty. And when you listen deeply to your teenagers in particular, you get more compliance and you get more honesty, you get more trust. One of the mistakes I think a lot of parents make is that we, we try to tell our children how they should think and how they should feel. But what you seem to be doing, which, which I teach also at Connected Parenting is helping their kids tune into their own integrity. What do they feel is right? Where's their compass facing north? Does this feel good to them? Does this not feel good to them? And look at your son. He handed it over. You didn't even ask him for it. No. And I'm, we're we're in a comedy household. So it's like, there's also these truthful, because comedy, when you really think about it, for the most part, unless you're a comedian like Stephen Wright or somebody like that, it's about truth. You know, the truth is funny. And so the other day, you know, not the other day, probably like, I'd say six months ago, nine months ago, my older son comes into my room with my younger son and the older son says, dad, um, I have something I have to talk to you about. I've got to be honest about it with you. I said, sure. What is it? He said, look, um, you know, I, I, I taught my brother, um, to masturbate the other day. You know, I, I, I showed him how to do it. And I just like put my hands over my eyes and just closed them. I'm shaking my head. Can't you just keep this secret <laughs> like a normal kid? <laughs> yeah. And then as I'm doing, and then as I'm doing that, I hear my younger son say, "Dad, don't worry about it. It's okay. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to use my own hand." <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. 
That's this funny. is going to get us a lot, a lot, a lot of different kind of sponsors. What you just said. <laughs> Not exactly the track I had planned, but listen, if Trojan wants to do it, we're going to let him do it. What can I tell you? <laughs> Barry, that, that's amazing. Those stories are incredible. We have a lot more to talk about with you. There's so many things, and I haven't even touched like half of the stuff. You mean there's a part two? I think we're we going to have to do that. part two. No, I think we're going to do part two, and I'll tell you right now, we're going to talk about how the Kennedy assassination, this is how far we're going to go. We're going to talk about how the Kennedy assassination would affect the mental health of the country if we knew what had happened, and if it's something that would be we would be able to recover from as a country, and if that's maybe why we haven't brought it out, why, why we don't know crystal clear to this time. So I, I actually want to talk about that. One of my favorite projects I ever worked on. Well, it's fan- Barry has done there. You have to listen to his podcast. I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, it's called Industry Standard. You get it wherever you get your podcasts. And he talks to like the most famous people in the world, a lot of celebrities, a lot of entertainers, a lot of performing artists about the risks that they take, about their personal lives, about what has happened to to bring them to the place of fame of what they what they've had to do. It's a very interesting podcast. I want to ask you more about that next time. We're going to talk about the Kennedy assassination. Barry has a documentary called I Killed Kennedy, which I, actually- I killed JFK. I killed JFK. <laughs> actually, I killed Kennedy, and it wasn't the president. It was the it was the uh, MTV host. Now, you can learn about all these things, including uh, new classes in success and in education, which you're going to do. Yeah, the, bl- the blueprint for success in the comedy business, yes. And you can learn about all that at barrycats.com, barrycats, K-A-T-Z dot com. Or just Jew. You can learn about it from Jew. It's You don't even have to put the jot.com in. You can put jew.org if you want. It's all the same thing. There really is only one thing that this whole show is about, and that's about being a Jew. Am I canceled yet? Not at all. Not at all. Now, listen, listen, you're going to come back. We're going to book another date. We're going to do this. You're like the de- you're like the Dennis Miller of wordsmanship. Yeah, I haven't seen choreography. That's just since the Lee Harvey Oswald prison transfer. <laughs> all right. We have a lot more to talk about. I want to thank Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. For taking the time. Awesome, Jennifer. Great meeting you. Thank you. Nice meeting you too, Barry. Barry, thank you so much. You're going to come back. I'm going to book it with you. And get ready. Get ready. From Alston, Massachusetts. From Alston, I came to the location. I remember the wood paneling. (laughs) I will never forget it. And I've got a lot of stories about that, which we'll talk about next time. If you want to subscribe... You can get uh, these kinds of conversations about the masturbation and about other things, many other things about mental health as a practice from all kinds of interesting people. And you can find it wherever you get your podcasts or at makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, media.com. Go to Connected Parenting. Check out Jennifer Kalari's work at connectedparenting.com. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick. We're going to see you next time.